Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Michael Matthew. Michael started struggling with low back issues in the late 80s while working as an electrical engineer at Eastman Kodak Company. Two rolfers in Rochester, New York were able to help him out of that pain. He quit his job and went west and got his rolfing training first completed in 1993. In 2012, Michael crashed on his mountain bike and suffered massive damage to his neck and spinal cord, creating quadriplegia. That injury opened a door to take his work energetically and eventually long distance. Michael lives in Boulder, Colorado, and is actively building his practice as both a long-distance manual therapist treating clients and mentoring practitioners seeking to build their skills with hands-on manual therapy or a long-distance manual therapy. He also offers his skills as a health coach, supporting people with chronic health issues, and especially oxalate toxicity. Oxalates are a plant poison that he believes every body worker should know about since they can create significant damage to connective tissues, as well as many other maladies. Michael is currently three years into his own healing journey from oxalate toxicity, which has returned some almost normal sensation to parts of his paralyzed arms. In today's conversation, we spoke about Michael's path to the world of wellness, his life-altering bike accident working from a place of quadriplegia, his transition to hands-off work, and about working hands-off, dialoguing, and where his practice is taking him, and really much more. It's a very interesting talk we had, and I hope you enjoy it. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Michael. Pleasure to meet you. Likewise to both of you. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thank you for um, coming. I'm really excited. I'm also really excited uh, because... Uh, and Nikki had sort of alluded to this in our pre-talk, I've started to work hands-off in a way. And so hearing about people who are doing distance or hands-off or things like that is um, is exciting. And also it's it'll be very informative for me in my practice to think about what else could I be doing? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, And Nikki, what, what would you like to start with? Well, I think it would be great to just start, Michael, if you could just share with us how you got into rolfing, what was your background that maybe led you there? I think it's, you know, with our previous structural integrator guests, it's kind of fun to to learn their paths because sometimes it makes sense and it's like a natural flow. And then it's like, you know, I think Andrew's one of those bizarre cases of like engineering and then body work. (laughs) <laughs> so um yeah so let's hear your your stories and where you're at now yeah um oh what's the what's the best beginning point I, I started having some structural issues in high school and uh but then it was it was, was 23 I just started working full-time as a electrical engineer Eastman Kodak in Rochester, New York. And uh, I was a jock in high school. And, and then my back went out on me after playing volleyball. And it was, they had to carry me out in a stretcher 
Um, I went to see the doctor at the Kodak building and, you know, went home and saw the, the doctor um, under my insurance plan and basically had nothing to say to me except here, take, uh, take these uh, pain meds, these anti-inflammatories. It was a Friday, call me on Monday. And that just didn't land well for me. And I ended up, um, one of my work colleagues referred me to a chiropractor and um, she helped me. Um, and that, that really turned that little switch of, um, God, what's mainstream medicine got for me? And then this wonderful chiropractor really helped me out. And the thought of sitting in front of a computer as an engineer for the next 40 years wasn't very exciting. And, and I already had a, a slant towards something biological, you know, health oriented. Um, so uh, I, but the thought of going back to chiropractic school freaked me out. And somewhere random, I got invited to a bookstore to hear two rolfers talk in Rochester. And I started, I ended up working with both of them and um, the work helped. Um, didn't fix everything, but it definitely made a big difference. And, uh, and it just, something clicked inside me and that was it. So it just took me a few years to get out of Kodak and come to Boulder and, and start my training. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, so when did you start your training? I got a little bit. Yeah. I, I trained, I started training in the summer of 92, um, in Boulder and Gail, um, Gail Olgren, which is now Gail, help me out here. Rosewood. I don't know. Thank, thank you. Rosewood, the street I live on. Yeah. So um, anyway, I met her as Olgren then. Anyway, uh, so Gail and Heather Starsong were my first teachers. And I was part of the second uh, combined studies program. Um, so Gail, our Heather was doing our movement work. And then the second, second part was with, uh, was with Jeff Maitland and, um, um, uh, Jane Harrington in Phoenix. So I finished up in 93 and Paul, and I'll mention Paul Gordon was taught our anatomy and, uh, and that's important because that's going to come back around here. Um, oh, that's that's interesting because I actually just thought I literally woke up this morning as a random and thinking of Paul because uh, uh, I'm not I'm about an hour I'm about an hour away from him and we made plans to meet uh, uh, about hands off stuff uh, like a month ago and we can't yeah. forget I and I forgot about it so you just gave me a sign thank you yeah 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 we'll pull him in when that makes sense in the in the chain here. All right. So you graduated in early 90s. And did you start your practice here in Boulder? No, I didn't. I um, uh, just because of um, friend associations, I ended up um, it felt too overwhelming to come to Boulder being a brand new rolfer when there were so many here. Um, but at the time I got started, it was uh, it was just Charles and Elizabeth Swenson up in Fort Collins. So, uh, and I had a, one of my best buddies was going to be moving there. So, so that's where I got started. Yep. 
All right. So then you lived up in Fort Collins for a little while and came down. Eventually you came to Boulder for your practice. Yeah, things got going pretty good. It took me a while. I was I was not an A student when it came to Rolfing. I was a stuck in my head engineer and pretty stuck linearly and uh, didn't really. Um, didn't really know how to really drop into my hands and really feel what I was feeling underneath them. It was more, you know, oh, we got to do this and got to do this and got to do this kind of a thing. And uh, I ended up working with a chiropractor. Um, and and uh, so I saw a lot of car accidents. So that kind of became not only my bread and butter, but also got a lot of insights in how to work with that kind of trauma. Um, yeah. So, uh, so then how did things play out? Um, took those classes with Didier, uh, really started integrating the visceral work. And then I went and I, it was, it's kind of a little funny story. I was looking for, um, oh, who's the guy that does cranial work? I found out there was some videos on this one cranial book that I have and just did some searching online and lo and behold, I found Jeffrey Birch's website. And uh, so I called Jeff and we talked and, and he started explaining how integrated his uh, visceral manipulation was into his rolfing practice. And I went up and spent three or four days watching him work. And when I got back on the plane, um, back to Fort Collins, it became a much more integrated approach to my body work. And, and then over a short period of time, that just totally elevated my work. And I think for me, being so stuck in my head um, with how I approach things with that engineering linear brain, um, the work, the visceral work really forced me into really learning how to listen to bodies and that that combined with all the visceral work and Jeffrey helping me understand we can work on everything and and again diving deeper into the listening that just my work just over the next couple of years just elevated um, to levels I hadn't experienced so and I'd be you know I just felt a lot more confident with my work and uh and, you know, I'm not trying to blow my horn or anything, but, but in Fort Collins, I became, you know, I had a couple PTs that, you know, experienced my work and started referring a lot to me. So I started becoming kind of a go-to person when, you know, PT and chiropractic weren't working. I mean, Michael, I, I just have to say that this is, uh, this is a great conversation for me because I'm not where you are, but so much of what you're saying, like I, I've recently, recently been doing a lot with uh, car accidents, like or not with accidents, but getting people in car accidents and a lot of uh, uh, other practitioners who can't do it are sending people to me. So preach on. I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, like, yeah. it's, it's helpful. It's like, oh, that's where I might be going. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's wonderful to get. You know, like when you're just talking about car accidents and I remember taking um, one of the last, you know, it was probably a year before I crashed. I, I went down to Florida and there was, you know, several 
brawl classes happening. And one of them was an advanced thorax class with, um, um, it wasn't with Jean-Pierre. Boy, my brain is not getting names today. Elaine, Elaine. Thank you. It was, it was with Elaine and, you know, learning how to work on all the viscera of the neck and, and understanding some of those connections and, um, you know, the, the ligaments, all the pericardial ligaments and, and, um, how that, the, um, the pericardial ligament that goes up into the neck and basically turns into a tube of fascia that connects to the bottom of the, to the cranial base attaches to all four cranial base bones. Um, and, uh, what do we, what do they call them? The, the visceral? Nah. Anyway, I'm going to just let names go for today. So anyway, just really getting a concrete understanding of the viscera of the neck and how important that is for what's happening to the, to the cervicals behind it and how well those work together and how the freedom of that visceral compartment uh, almost always gets compromised in, in whiplash type injuries. And um, anyway, uh, so that, that work, um, yeah, just when you started talking about car accidents, that, that was the first image that popped in my head and understanding that visceral compartment and how to work with it. And, and, you know, and everything, how everything is like in a very real way, the heart is hanging from the base of the skull and the windpipe and the lungs are hanging from the cranium and the esophagus therefore, and the stomach are all hanging from that. And how much those organs can have a huge impact on the cranium. You know, sometimes you got to release an esophagus to get the sphenoid to move right. And that's what, that's what I love about the, you know, the raw thing was so great. It's at, on a, you know, musculoskeletal way, at least initially the way I took it in, seeing how much everything's connected. And then the visceral piece just brought that into a, you know, everything is connected for me in a way I didn't get before. Yeah. I can appreciate what you're saying about connecting into the visceral work and how that can help, help dial in the reading into the body and going into the deeper layers of the fascial connections. And I, I can echo that a little bit. I, I, I am fortunate or not fortunate. I came from, I didn't come from a very fixed linear, linear mindset. So reading and feeling into the body, um, came pretty easy for me, I guess. Um, so, but yeah, but I definitely, I've taken a lot of those osteopathic classes and it just, it's, it's, you know, definitely levels up the work for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't, I'll say I haven't gone to Baral, not because I don't want to, actually I did want to. I end up going down the biodynamic path for now and later I'll, I'll pick in the, the Baral uh, most likely because I see the value. But similarly, the um, and there was something actually, I'll, I'll, 
that'll tie into is that when you're like, oh, I don't remember the name of the ligament, there's a part of me that's like, is Rolfers to some extent, and I might get backlash on this. The name isn't doesn't matter. The name is just an, an, a concept that's imposed on this thing. What matters is how is this thing, this that in there moving in relation. And so great. I can, someone can give me all the names in the world, but what can they do with it? Whereas you're like, I can't know the name, but you're, I can see uh, even when you're, you're talking about it, how your body's responding to it. It's like that, that matters more. So don't worry about forgetting the names. Just don't, don't forget the hands. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they both inform each other too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find, you know, sometimes we need that anatomy for specificity and uh and sometimes we don't you know so you're you're exactly right too so it's it's so i think the more we have more the more breadth of experience the the deeper we can go at times yeah yeah and i did i didn't do a very deep dive into the biodynamic work but i carol agnesen's years ago was trying to get a class started in boulder and we did one class and then it never happened you know, it just wasn't enough people to get the class going. Um, and I did study once with Michael Shea. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but by the way, you're, you don't realize this because you don't you sort of you haven't checked our podcast, but you've basically been hitting oh, off just people we've oh, had on. Oh, I <laughs> looked just at actually, interviewed and it's like, oh, wow, cool, cool, cool. All these great people. Yeah. Michael, Michael is just on again. We haven't released it by the time of recording this. It'll be released by the time oh. this goes out. And I just had a call with Carol or a text with Carol uh, a few days ago because Carol yes. is uh, like my unofficial mentor. She probably doesn't know that, but um, I, I ask her questions a lot and she's very giving and she's so wise. And so, uh, yeah, awesome. Really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel honored you guys invited me to be part of your interviews because there's a pretty elevated group of people you've talked to so far. Well, Michael, I think you're you're we haven't gotten to gotten to it yet, but I think what you're going to share also is you know puts you on the elevated um, you know practitioners. Because so let's kind of go for it. So you're in Fort Collins, you find your way in Boulder, have your practice here. And then. um, And then you're out for a mountain biking ride. One fateful fateful night, August 27, 2012. Yeah, it was one of those beautiful August, late August evenings where it's I, I call it when the temperature's body neutral and it's just, you know, you're not sweating to death. It's comfortable. It's just beautiful. And, uh, and I, my favorite trail is, um, is in Lyons, Colorado. Um, and it's, it's, uh, Hall's ranch is the main trail, but there's another access trail called the, the, um, antelope, uh, trail that connects into it. And it misses all the gnarly rocks that I didn't want anything to do with. And yeah, so I was out for this beautiful ride and, um, I'll give one little side piece that I'm not going to dive deep into, but because of some personal spiritual work I was doing in regards to my family line, I pulled off the trail and did some ceremony and totally lost track of the daylight. And, and all of a sudden I looked up and it was like, oh shit, I need to get out of here. 
and it was, it was getting into dusk. And, uh, so I, you know, was doing my best to be careful. And it was this one section I was in, it was a little too dark and I hit a ledge of rock that I wasn't expecting to see, you know, and, uh, the bike just threw me forward. I wasn't even going that fast, but it threw me forward, jammed on the brakes without trying the whole bike rotated over the front wheel. And I froze and came straight down on my head on solid rock. And um, went, my head went into extreme flexion and I heard lots of crazy noises and um, basically um, breaks in from C3 through C7 uh, vertebral bodies of C4 and C5 were crushed into tiny pieces and um, and my spinal cord was almost completely severed at C4 or 5. So probably don't need to talk too much about what happened, but basically I was on the trail for about four hours before search and rescue got me. Oh, wow. That yeah. is devastating and yeah. scary. And I mean, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit and I've shared it in various podcasts. But I have a brother who became quadriplegic um, in the Grand Canyon and um, from diving deep. While he had people around to assist him, it was still quite the the rescue because, I mean, he was in water, so he had to be drowned and he was pulled out. And then he had some athletic kid that wasn't part of my brother's group. Had to run up to the Indian reservation to call for the helicopter. There was miscommunication. The helicopter didn't come. I had to yeah. go back up. So, I mean, just thinking about that, you know, that feeling of being paralyzed and having to wait and wait and wait for help. And I was in shock and I didn't get it at first. It was, you know, like when you hit your funny bone in your elbow. My, that's where my brain went first. I have a full body funny elbow. And, and somehow I thought I was going to, it was, if I just waited long enough, it was going to, it was, my body was going to come back online, but you know, that's how deep I was in shock. And uh, yeah. Yeah. What's, and what's, I put, what's pretty, I'm sorry, I was say what's pretty uh, just, you know, hearing, hearing you just talk about it and, and observing my own experience and also watching Nikki listening and watching us as in this like mild shock wouldn't be it, but also listening to you and how, uh, I don't know, what's the word? You just sound like acceptance is really there. You know, it's not like, like it, it just sounds, it's great when you talk about it, there isn't like, it, yeah, I just want to comment on that, that that's, that's pretty awesome. Well, 10 years of practice. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of mixed things up in there, but um, yeah. Anyway, I could say a lot about that, but yeah. Yeah. And what, you know, just a couple of things I'll say quick though, is, is what was wild once I finally figured out I might be dying um, was that, you know, being outside in nature, you know, it's just like the birds and the crickets. Everybody's just doing their thing. And it's like, I don't know why, but for some reason, I think I expected that, you know, if I was really close to dying, that nature might do something special for me. 
but you know, it's just doing its thing, so, which is perfect. But you know, it's just, that was one weird moment I had in it all. And then, and then I will say this is I put out, I basically gathered all the energy I could inside myself and outside myself. And I, I called for my partner, Beth. And when we finally got to compare notes, she heard me. So she could still remember. I mean, you know, when we compared notes, she was like, oh, yeah, right around 830. I just felt this wave of sadness and she sat down. Um, Anyway, at least I had told her where I was going. So she eventually called search and rescue, you know, and and they came and got me. And then there's a bunch of blank. Um, So I've got four metal plates in the front with screws and two rods in the back. Um, I was at the Longmont hospital for 45 days and, and we finally got me approved to go to Craig in Denver, which is considered one of the premier rehab facilities only to show up and find out when they did imagery the next day, the hardware was failing. Um, screws were starting to back out. I had one of my vertebrae was translating on top of another and uh, that was getting dangerous. Yeah. Anyway, so I had to have a second surgery. So um, yeah, so that's, that's that story. And during um, my time um, at Craig, one of my best buddies, um, Michael, who also, he was assisting Jeffrey's classes when I took Jeffrey Birch's class. And Michael came to visit. And because he does the work, um, you know, when he showed up, I put my, the back of my hand somewhere on his upper chest and I immediately felt the pull, um, of something, you know, just listening to his body, there was a pull into his neck. And I realized in that moment that, and I'm sure a lot of people out there, you know, who aren't stuck in their head, like I had been you know, they already know what that feels like. But for me, it was a new thing to realize that it wasn't my hand that was doing the feeling. It was probably something in my body field that's doing the listening and is, is, is hearing what the body's saying. So that was, that was like a huge thing for me in that moment, because I realized, you know, there might be some hope for me continuing to do body work because I wasn't limited by hands that don't work anymore right which michael is this that helped you out in denver uh michael hahn okay yeah he 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 was uh he he like i said again he he was a student of jeffrey's he, he's uh trained, trained as a heller worker initially finally a name we don't have finally that's great yeah hopefully he's okay with me using it anyway um, yeah. So then when I got out of the hospital, finally, um, I, uh, you know, I was trying to do stuff energetically and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, uh, so I ended up settling on, you know, cause in this big bulky power wheelchair that I'm in, if someone lays on a table or a bed, I can only get so close and use one hand. Um, and then, 
you know, I think on my own, I figured out, well, then I'm going to just have to use an energetic second hand. And so that's how I started playing with things. And, um, and for me, that was the most difficult part, um, was, was because I had never put a lot of time or energy into trying to figure out how to do things energetically. It just didn't seem like I had, you know, I had the right stuff for that. And so I, I never really committed myself. Um, this injury of course, totally committed to figuring it out. And, um, yeah, so, so using one physical hand and one energetic hand. And what was amazing to me also to discover was I was also picking up on everything I used to pick up when I had hands. So I could still, you know, even with an energetic hand, I could see that the motility of the liver was, was, you know, had a problem or, you know, anything, any of that stuff where I was trying to see into the body with my hands, I was still doing. So, but that it took a lot of time to kind of refine that and get better at it. Um, and then, and then an interesting thing that happened early on was I worked on a friend who had, she had gotten rear-ended by a big truck. And when I was trying to work with her, um, anything I tried, just nothing was happening, nothing at all. And so I took a step back and I said, well, okay, big picture. What do I got to do here? And this is where just that little bit of biodynamic training kind of comes in um, is I ended up backing up 15 feet away from her. And at that point I felt, you know, this is where I struggle with words, but I call it distortions in people's body fields um, or, or their morphology of the field. And, and there was like all this big projection from her backspace, which makes, and, and it wasn't uniform with the rest of her field. And, and luckily she was super, she's a super sensitive, energetic person. So we worked together and I had to just keep meeting her field and just hanging out without any agenda. And then the field might relax a couple feet and I moved in and she helped zero me in. And we kept playing with that. And, and again, I wasn't like, you know, I had to really back off and not just be, you know, cause I'm a, another engineering quality. I just want to get things done and make things happen and push. So it was a big lesson on just waiting and listening and following. And that, that's and, also that, that Michael, that's also a quality of being a male as I'm just put that out there. Yeah. Too. <laughs> push your way through, get it done quick. Yeah. Um, so eventually though, things kind of felt like they were more normal. And then when I put hands on her, both energetic and physical, everything started shifting. And that's been this little baby. I'm sure other people have their own ways of explaining or experiencing exactly what I'm talking about. But now when, especially since I'm doing long distance, well, I guess it doesn't matter, but anytime I work with people, I'm paying attention to their, to what I call their body field. And um, sometimes it makes a lot of sense. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's far out and I don't understand it. Um, but it's, it sounds, I mean, it sounds a lot like what, what is in biodynamics is the tide, you know, and, and the breath of life is more or less what, what you're, um, what you're working with. I, I can relate be, because it sounds very similar to how my practice has 
has become in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think I shared this story before, but I, I, I was doing a 10 series with a client and, and similar, like we were doing it cause she wanted to do it, but I wasn't able to get like, there was something that I couldn't, I wanted to change. I couldn't, something wouldn't shift. And that day when she was coming in, I, I got like a vision. I'd say I got like a feeling like her field came in ahead and I was like, Oh yeah. And I, it, there was a sort of story that came with it and she came in and I was basically like, I know you want to do the 10 series. And I think this other thing will, will come in handy if we can work with this first. <laughs> um, you, you know, and she said, okay. And we actually ended up doing a session nine purely, purely me holding her feet and her whole body, everything changed entirely. And that thing that was blocking her, actually she brought up in session. I didn't cue her to it. And it was a, a story with family and she shifted her perspective. Of it. And when she changed her perspective about it or saw it in a slightly different way, everything unraveled it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting into weird stuff. And I, you know, this whole experience, I kind of said this before, but there's just been this realization. Um, for me, this has been this big opening, but I know a lot of people like Nikki, you were saying a lot of this stuff came easy for you. And uh, um, so I know some of what I'm saying isn't going to be far out at all for a lot of people who already were open to it. For me, I wasn't. And this pushed me into opening up to a lot more of what I have access to. Yeah. I had, I had a client three, four months ago, first time I worked with her, I was just kind of doing just a general scan of her field and it got oh, everywhere else. It wasn't bad. It was, it was decent, you know, the amount of field around her and how it felt, but there was this very, you know, maybe like an inch wide around her neck that there was almost no field there. And when I explained to her what I was feeling and started working with it at some point when she felt more comfortable, because it was our first session, she shared that she had been strangled. And uh, that just made total sense. Um, Michael, are your sessions all in person or are you also working? I'm, I'm mostly just doing it um over zoom now yeah. yeah so that's what i think is so cool so like i did say you know kind of feeling in you know that kind of came naturally to me what has been mind-blowing and i would have never ever thought this was possible of uh, doing healing work through zoom like pre-pandemic, I'd be like, you're crazy. That's focus pocus. Like that's a that's a stretch. But being forced into getting creative and how to stay connected with people and people still needing work. And uh, that's how what, you know, not to be too political, but for some of us that felt, you know, working through Zoom and not being in person was the way of life at that time. And, um, but yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy and like crazy and remarkable how we can still have this human connection and ways of healing through, through zoom. And it's just, I, I, 
I don't have the words around it other than just kind of be mind blown of the potential that is in our energy field that is can be felt even beyond actual being in physical realms. Well, it's definitely, I mean, I think it's great that, you know, I'm not denying that we shouldn't, you know, human connection is really important, but it's, you know, it's not, it just, it's great to be open-minded and that there's this potential and that's palpable and real. And I experienced that with some clients when I was working through Zoom in the early pandemic time. And I think that's just what's so fascinating to have this conversation with you because, you know, you, you were already pandemic ready, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all of us are fumbling around trying to figure it out. And you're like, I got this. <laughs> well, you know, it was, here comes, here's where Paul Gordon comes in. Cause that was about five or six years ago. Um, was in touch with an old high school friend. I grew up in Maine and her daughter was, was in a terrible car accident years ago and uh, TBI and um, really having a hard time. And um, anyway, I just, uh, we, we started having a conversation and, and Paul was the, is the one Rolfer that I knew was in the Portland ish area. And, and I reached out and said, Hey, are you, do you work on people who are at this high level? He said, Oh, absolutely. And she can, you know, she can either drive an hour to see me in Elliot or, or I can, or she can meet with me over zoom. And, you know, I've heard of lots of people who do more, you know, class, not classic, but energetic work of whatever kind, shocker work or Reiki or, you know, what have you. But I, I, at that point, I hadn't heard of people doing structural work energetically. So Paul told me what happened for him is he had gotten some, some weird infection, kept him out of his office for a year and a half. And so, you know, and he was already deep in to the biodynamic work. So he just started working on people over Zoom. And he got such good results that at that time, he's, he ended up retaining 50% of his so he he didn't go to his office at all. He just worked over Zoom. But even when he got over his infection and got back to work and opened his office, he retained 50% of his clients over Zoom. And that that conversation, and then um he gave me some time and talked through some stuff with me. But that that opened the door that I could do this over Zoom. And I was surprised doing the work over Zoom was so much easier than my initial figuring out how to be more energetic with my work. It was almost like that initial struggle and learning on my own, getting the energetic work done. All I had to do was look at a body over Zoom, close my eyes, and they're in the room with me. And uh, so for me, everything, I feel everything just like I did before. It's interesting. Uh, There's something you said here as... as that you you know relating it bringing up like reiki and other energy work and and this is uh i'm curious your thoughts here because one of the things i've been talking with a few other you know therapists of different sorts and one of my current ideologies is that reiki is actually a disembodied process because it's all purely energetical yet i don't the way that I hear Reiki and the way I hear what you're doing. And even I'd say what I'm doing sometimes, I'd say that even though it's an energetic 
response across across the field and without a physical touch, that it is actually an embodied process. Uh, and my my guess is because you're, I'm going to lay my presumption of what's happening down, and please correct me if if you see otherwise, which is that you're you're using your nervous system to tune in to their nervous system. And you're responding from that and you're then therefore instead of just waving your hands and having and having or having you do something to someone else of which they're not really a part of not that they're not involved but they're not active in it you're actually having your clients involved in it and therefore there's there's more of an embodied sense to it as opposed to a, a something else i might not be wording it but i'm curious how that all sounds Say say just a little bit more. I, I think I, I know where you're at, but I just want to hear yeah. a little bit. It's okay. Words are never my friend. Oh, not always my friends. Um, well, more or less, what I started to find in my own practice, because I had done energy work before, was that a lot of a lot of energy work would be claiming to do something. But when I would work with energy workers, I'd realize how disassociated and disconnected they were from their, from their body because oh. a lot of them, like a lot of Reiki people, were living in a field phenomena but disconnected from the from their nervous system, disconnected from their 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 beingness, their bodiness. Whereas when I what I believe I'm doing, what I believe you're doing is you're actually, even though we are not in touch, you are tuning in and having them tune and re-relate to their felt experience, which is a nervous system response, is an embodied response. You're you're tuning into aspects of their. Uh, of their being. And I think most, most important is you're, you're having them be involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and although initially I think I did a lot of my work quiet and, and then over time I involved them more. And then I actually, you know, I, I decided to teach, um, right. It was, so what was that March of 20? I decided I'd, I'd offer because I was already getting some good skills and with COVID really landing hard right then, because that's when the lockdown started happening. I offered a, a a training on doing long distance work. Um, And then right before I did that, I found out that this woman, Suzanne Skurlock, um, who, who was an upledger cranial practitioner for years and a teacher, um, she was putting out a class and I thought, well, I'll check out her class and see if that might inform me in my class. And, and then I actually did a two year, like once a month, get together a group of people and she, she or her other um, assistant would do a, uh, they do a session and we would all watch and tune in as best we could. And she brings a lot of dialogue into her work, something that I hadn't done a lot of. And that, that actually has been huge. At first I was really resistant because it's like, I don't want to, you know, cause she would always ask people, do you have a place you want me to start today? And I was like, I don't want them to tell me where to start. I want to do a really good scan and start where the body's telling me. And anyway, but that's been a great informant for me on how to engage the client more. And I'm, you know, and the more I practice it, the more I saw the benefit of that. So I'm still working out some of those parts for me, but yeah, that's, so I'm really engaging people a lot more. Yeah. I'll just share 
because I think it really relates is that was, it, it's a very similar process. I had, I had studied various guided meditation process practices and whatnot. And I accidentally, even before I was doing rolfing, I was doing other body work and I had kind of been bringing in felt sense awareness, curiosity. And actually you mentioned someone earlier, Jeff Maitland, who had, I've never met, but I've read, read all of his books actually. Uh, or I think all of his books. And it was really inspired by a lot of what he was writing that actually brought me into philosophy more and into phenomenology and linguistics and a lot of that. And so I started to just, you know, like most of us, we we see something, we just kind of bring it in, right? You're like painting the kitchen as a something, you bring that in, like, oh, I'll use that. Let's Let's add this into the mix. And I started bringing more inquiry, questioning in, talking in, and and not therapeutic, not like oh, when you were five years old, how did it feel? Doing you know, um, and actually letting really every question was very open and letting them take the control to extent. So I'm not saying this is what it is, but what would this be like? How would this be? And you know, I I, I sort of knew I had something when a client I had worked with, I I spent the whole time on a couch across the room from them just feeling them, watching them, guiding them to say, well, what is, how does that part feel? Can that part relax? Whatever that. And she got up and said, I feel like your hands were on me. Uh, and her body completely shifted and it was all inquiry. And it was like, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's actually what's led me to Paul uh, Gordon is uh, Bob Shry told me I should talk to him. So, yeah. 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 And Suzanne, uh, another way in which training with her helped me was, was she'll ask her clients, you know, do you feel, does the pressure or presence that I'm giving to that area of your body, does that feel like enough? Do you need more? Do you need less? And whereas before I just was doing what I thought was felt right. And uh, so it's, you know, that really helps empower the client. When you you're asking them very specifically, and you know, and some clients just don't have the sense to give great feedback, but most of them do, and and I, that gets them not only engaged, but then they're really get a good sense that you're really, you know, working for them. Is I guess one way of saying it. Um, yeah, you've hit a really, really important word, which is the empowerment, which is where I sometimes lose clients because there's not used to have to be evolved. And, and I, you know, even a, a client of me, of mine just messaged me earlier who, who, can, who is, can't fully walk right now. She has a lot of neurological dam. Uh, she has no neurological damage from MRIs yet. She can't walk. And it's like crazy, crazy trauma stuff going on, but I'm, she wants me to come back every day. And I'm like, no, like, let's see how you are tomorrow. Let's, and she's like, well, when, when should you come? And I keep trying to encourage her, but, but like you said, not everyone knows and, and that's fine. And I, I actually see a lot of this work more about how to empower, however that may be, because if somebody is empowered, they are more upright in this world. Right. And so it's a lot of that is about how do we, how do we encourage empowerment without telling them what is, it's a lot of inquiry inward. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like your use, your use of the word inquiry. Yeah. That's, it's funny how, you know, just sometimes somebody using a different word than I might use is enough to like 
kick me out of my box. Yeah. I mean, that's part of this podcast. <laughs> like yeah. part of it is, I mean, a Nikki and I get to have our boxes kicked every day. Uh, well, not every day, but, but, but also we get to share stuff and we get to then have other people hear, hear something in a different way. Um, and I think that's, that's like, I don't, I don't want to see the same every day. What you know, that, I mean, I'm happy to, as long as it works, but I also kind of want to see, okay, well, what else is there? How else, how else can I, can I do this? Because there's, there's so little, like, you know, the more, you know, the less, you know, so like what else could there, and how could I, this is the engineering side. I think you'll appreciate, like if I'm using two grams of effort to do something and I actually only need one gram, how do I find the way to do, to, do, to use less, to do more? And so it's all, yep. it's all that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think what, what, what we're sharing of, the, the the importance of the hands-on is great, but it's also important to recognize that so much of the work too is, I think what we're kind of just talking about is a, a unique way of being in dialogue that's bringing on somatic awareness. And in that awareness is where structural integration is being accomplished and and having i mean i do a lot too with my clients of having them be really in dialogue i'm definitely they're they're definitely getting on and off the table after i do some work not so much you know and after a while i kind of share like you know i'm doing this not to be like ooh look how great you feel after i did my tricks it's because once you're in movement and in gravity and can start to put words into a new experience then it then it becomes there's that empowerment there's that ownership of you're doing this my hands aren't on you you're getting to feel it own it and also this is you know one of my big takeaways in my early trainings was you know we're not always going to be perfect in our posture but what we need to remember is when we are kind of slouchy or falling in an unfavorable position, how do we get out of it? How do we not stay stuck? And um, and I think with my clients that they love that because they're like, it takes away the shame of, you know, their body feeling like it's broken or failing them and all that. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm human. I get tired. I'm going to like slouch a little bit or, you know, I have to work at a computer all day long or whatever the reasons are that brings us in in positions that aren't even, you know, there was a podcast that I was listening to and I can't even remember what it was, but but it was the, a conversation about stand up desk. Like everybody now is working at home and they're bringing up their, you know, have their fancy ergonomic workspace. And the, um, the, the, the guest was saying, yeah, that's great. That's great to have options, but still, if you're just standing, you're still in a position. The important thing is get out of the position and shake it up a little bit. And I think when that happens, when we shake up our positions, you get to have it like get to own like, oh, yeah, being in that. I don't want to be in that position for that amount of time because it makes my neck hurt. I get cranky. I'm not a good coworker. You build relationships with well, you're, you start to build re- relationships with your patterns. And when you have awareness around them, then you don't, you have more of a 
variety of how you can be in life and how you move in life. Exactly. So, Michael, what's what's your practice like now? Um, we kind of talked about how you had to transition, and um, I know you're you and Beth are working on something kind of cool. Sounds yep. like, yeah. Um, well, let me see if I can keep this brief. But uh, last, not this past spring, but spring of twenty one. Something inside me just said, hey, um, you're still alive, you're functional, you still got a lot of healing to do, but it's time to focus on healing the actual accident. And um, so I ended up um, reaching out to a woman who does she doesn't like calling herself a shaman, but that, you know, for lack of a better word, she is. And, uh, um, and it felt like I needed to tap into the accident on, you know, a, more of a spiritual, emotional, psychological level. And so we started working together and, um, God, how much do I want to share? That's important. Um, that whole thing has got me deepening into my own um, shamanic journeying practice. And, and that has me connected when she, well, she helped and my sister helped. Um, connecting in what I'm going to call the spirit of the land where I crashed. So that's, that's turned into this huge thing. Um, and this beautiful path for me of, uh, of, you know, deepening into my own self and healing and, um, and then Beth has joined me, uh, on that journey. And because, you know, people say, oh, Michael, it's, you know, what a horrible thing that happened to you. And a lot of times people forget about the partner and one of the wonderful things that's come out of the injury for me or for Beth is that Beth really dove into her own personal grief work. And for some people might know the names, um, Maladoma Somme or Sobampu Somme, um, uh, who are running around the country teaching people how to grieve. And uh, anyway, Beth was a psychotherapist before I crashed, focusing on art and play therapy with kids. She now focuses on grief and trauma. And um, so through our, our, the two of us, our journeying work and working with this, this uh, practitioner um, guiding us, it came clear that um, Beth uh, and I have some work together and we're just at the beginning of feeling out what that is. But We've worked on one of my clients so far and all over Zoom, um, I hold what we've been talking about with this energetic body work and everything I pay attention to. And, and Beth is holding the grief and trauma part. And for a first time, I'd say we did pretty well with that client. And, um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're just trying to line up some other people to be 
you know, let us practice with and uh, just see what happens with that work. I, I have no idea where it's going at this point, but it's, it's curious. We're interested. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure, sure how much I can say, but it's a work in progress. Well, I just want to say, you know, Beth, I'm excited that Beth is going to be um, a guest. So I'm just sharing that with our listeners that she will be be on. And I can just say from being a follower on social media and just witnessing how she has navigated your injury. I mean, I kind of just, I guess, because I, I feel like I was kind of following it from the very beginning. I think being in Boulder and just kind of meeting new people and just, you know, so basically I knew of you guys, um, if not before your accident, at least certainly right really close by because again, people know my experience and they're like, Oh, maybe you want to reach out to Michael, and, um, but yeah, I think it's, I can't wait to hear Beth's story and learn from her because from what I read of hers and see of her on social media, she really does a, a, a great way, an elegant way of navigating grief. And that's like, and that's hard, you know, most people get stuck in the pattern or afraid to go there. And, um, I think she, I, I just, I'm excited to, to hear more about that because I think it's so important. I mean, for sure, you guys, I mean, having, you know, major accident, feeling like you're about to die in the woods I mean, paralyzed, being paralyzed, no joke, but, you know, so that's like a big extreme of, of a trauma, but people, you know, we can all probably agree that's trauma is trauma and whether it's a big micro event or or macro to micro we still have to find ways to to process it and um yeah so i think that i can't wait to to hear more about this yeah i'm really curious to see how it unfolds i have a question for you guys um when you do your long distance work um do you get tuned in to um, emotional holdings that might be happening in certain parts of the body? And if yes, how do you experience that? Emotional, like within your own, within my own body? Well, it could be there. Yeah, for sure. But sometimes it's, you know, for me, when it goes to zero, when it go, when I go from a neutral place to like tears, when I move my hands over a certain part of their body, it's clear for the most part, it's not me. I'm picking up on something. So I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have empathetic responses like that. And if you do, how do you work with it? Well, I can speak, I mean, in transparent, I don't, a lot of my work isn't on Zoom anymore. So I, while I got to experience the, that it's possible, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm well versed in it by any means. I think for me, where, where, for me, the, 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 the access point is what we kind of were talking about, you know, half hour ago 
is being in dialogue of what is what does that feel like for you? How could it be different? Or a lot of a lot of times I don't feel anything. Okay, but where where do you feel something? So it's I would say for me the the work is more like somatic tracking than really going from a energetic perspective. So um and I'm not like I have taken like I've done a cranial sacral course because I I could feel that Thomas Walker and Ray McCall were my face too. So I think that was just like (laughs) in my, (laughs) in my training. So I felt it and it was something that I wanted to learn more about because it was palpable, but it's not a main thing that I work with. So, and same with like, I did source point and I just stumbled into that class. I needed to get some C, you know, continue education classes. And it really was that class was offered during the time I was free. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was like, what? We're doing energy work. (laughs) So, but I went in with an open mind and I was like, oh wow, this this is palpable and feels very real. So I can't say that I am really working with anything in particular other than the influences that I have in my training and that comes into play. Okay, my turn. <laughs> um, so to answer your question as best as I understand, I'll say from both both a in, in-person and virtual, I've had experiences, I believe, of what you are referring to or close to what you're referring to. Um, I used to, when I first started doing body work, I, I would say I had, I didn't have the best teachers in regards to that sort of stuff. And I was probably more of a, uh, we'll use the word empath. I don't love that word, but I was more, uh, that's the one I use. Cause I'm not sure what yeah, else to call it. Yeah. I, I think that the word gets somewhat overused or used. So like a lot of, there's a lot of words when I hear them now, I'm like, ugh. I even like, uh, yeah. So especially in the spiritual community where they co-opt words and, and sort of take the value away. Um, so, but we'll say like for that empath. And I, I remember I was working on someone I was in San Francisco and I was working on someone and I, I left uh, the session and when I was done and he went home and I asked the, the manager, like, is everything okay with that guy? Because I had this visions the whole time of, I was like black and white, but bloody and like really weird stuff. And I was like, I was weird. You know, it was like watching an anime in my mind, but I was having my hands on him. And the guy was like, yes, yeah, was a little off with that guy. And, and I, I, just, I later realized it wasn't that he was suicidal. It was that there was some sort of vibration, some sort of energetic pattern that was there. And my body was tuning into something. So it was picking up on a resonance of some sort. Um, and then, you know, years later, I had lots of other similar stuff. And I think I just learned more and I had studied a, a bunch of shamanism and I'd studied a bunch of just various practices. And I, I, I think I started to sort of realize like when I would pick up on tears, it wasn't necessarily that the person was sad. Uh, it was that there was, but there was probably more of something, some story, some, uh, whether it's energetic or physical, again, you can't have, you can't have a physical, you can't have a living body without energy because we are caloric machines. Uh, we're not machines, but you know, we're caloric beings. So there's, there's this stuff tied up there that science won't necessarily really uh, explain, but yet we have this. Um, 
and so I, I would try to sort of distance myself from it and say that this is, this is that as much as this is a possibility to what may be going on and to tune, tune into it um, and to maybe be around it. But I do, I, I still can. Um, well, we actually talked about something and this is, might sound different, but very similar when we had uh, Kevin on, who's a somatic experience practitioner, whereas sometimes even not body work, like even phone calls like this call, I'm going to get off and be super excited and have a lot of energy afterwards because it it fills me up. It fuels me up. It's really great. Right. But if this call was like, oh, okay, Michael. And then next, oh, and then, you know, like if it's, I'm going to get off exhausted. Right. And what's yeah. different is not anything physiological, but how well it is and that I'm like bracing. And so there's that, there's a component in it that sometimes when I'm, if I'm with, if I'm with the client and they're bracing around something or I'm, I'm my, well, the way I perceive it is my nervous system is picking up what their nervous system is responding with in whatever way. And so that bracing, that whatever is what I'm picking up and I'm trans, I'm translating that into my language. Now it might be point, it might be exactly point to point, like the story I said where the client was coming and it had something to do with her father. And that was spot on, even though I had no idea. Right. It may be, which is why I never tell them. I almost never tell my clients what I am feeling because I get crazy stories, visions, things like, you know, I like, but that's all my perspective. And, and a lot of times, yes, it does correlate to what they're saying. But I also think once I tell them, oh, there's sadness here, I've just put a new sadness there that may not have even been there. Um, so that's, that's, that's sort of, um, my perspective it may not be because just like you i think we both kind of fell into this no uh no pun in- intended um but we uh I got, i'm glad i got a smile i was hesitant on that one that was a close one um but anyway, we did we fell into this and um if i had only was if i had only been a year ahead of the injury that might not have landed so well yeah but i i think that's the thing is i i, I could pick up there was a safety and comfort uh yeah. in you and then, and I could, you know, and I still wasn't hesitant. And, but that's one of my faults is I, I use humor sometimes too much. Um, but, but I, I think that it's, it's that we're still figuring it out, which is why I have to talk to Paul possibly, which is why I, when I started to do it, I reached out to anybody who has maybe had five steps ahead of me. Not that they know more, they just know different, which is exactly the tie back into what you're saying before. So did I answer your question or not? I think so. I, I end up giving so my I end up giving more questions, and I actually think that's a good thing. I got that from Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, where it's like I don't actually really want to give answers because um, I don't know answers, uh, but I want to give inquiry and perspective and curiosity. So maybe I did. If not, holler back. Well, you know, when I I took her class, um, uh, actually Jeffrey Birch. Um, invited me to go to France and study with Jean-Pierre. And he said, if Jeffrey went, he'd translate everything he did. And uh, anyway, Baral taught us a little technique of using an emotional um, center that's in the right parietal lobe of the brain. And then it's almost like muscle testing to, you know, if, if it was something that came up and seemed like, um, you know, appropriate for the situation, then there was this little technique of almost, you know, using, like I said, muscle testing, asking questions 
and um, and getting details around, say, a specific trauma um, that might be because what Baral was finding is times he'd release a kidney, they'd come back a week later, same kidney was stuck again. He'd release the kidney, same kit, you know, stuck again, and then he started expanding what he was looking at and finding that it was some kind of trauma response was not allowing that organ to get released. And so if he fleshed out enough information and sometimes just like you're saying, he would ask the body, can I share this with them? And a lot of times he'd get a no. It just was something that somehow needed to be held is, is kind of the way I look at it. And, um, and then there's other times when, you know, you get the yes, that you, you do need to share that with them. And that can be helpful in their journey moving forward. So um. I, I hear that. I used to do more of that. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying for, for me, I, I find it slightly disempowering when somebody tells me something about myself, even if I've, if I've asked for it to some extent, because how much is conscious and how much is unconscious. Um, but for me, it's all, like, I, I hear you and I'm not saying no. I think for me, cause I used to do a lot of that muscle testing. Like uh, yeah. uh, I used to do like even pendulum work stuff and sort of say, okay. Um, and just cause I have a philosophical background, I, I always sort of wondered, well, how much of that is my own unconscious projecting onto it that I'm putting in. And I don't know. And so a lot of times I, I just, I sort of say, well, even if it is, I'd, if it, even if it's a 0.1% chance, I'd rather not, but I don't know. And so that's why I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. Um, and, and that, that being said, I still will tell, like I will, I just generally try to get them to say more first. Um, but then I lot, you know, and if something feels like super uh, important and relevant, uh, but I always also will start it by saying, this isn't what it is. It's just what, it, what may be. <laughs> And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Yeah. I always share it like that. too. This might just me. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're kindreds. We're this, like- yeah. Yeah. We're in the same space, however that connection is. And, and I'm just aware of this and it may be all mine. Yeah. I appreciate, uh, Michael, you taking time to talk with us and share your journey. And um, really, I think the, the cool takeaway and this conversation is that there's potential to change. And we are, we've been talking about, you know, our work and how we promote change with our clients and this and that. But I think you as a practitioner, just from your story of coming from an engineering background and coming more for like a fix it, maybe harder touch to into a softer integrating touch and then becoming you know, due to your injury, coming, you know, working more in this uh, distance, remote healing realm. And I, I just, I think that's, I think it's a cool story. And I think you've done a remarkable job of um, staying connected with the work despite physical disabilities. And I think that's, worthy to share with the world and and to our our community because we all in some degree it might not be paralysis but we're humans and we're you know we're not always these perfect able healthy beings but 
how do we how do we pivot and still stay connected into into healing and healing with the community and healing with ourselves i mean i think there's a lot of wonderful stuff that is being discussed and pondered from this conversation and i look forward to the opportunity that we get to learn more from you when um we get to have you and beth on yeah assuming that's still open that invite's still open (laughs) and at that point oh absolutely and at that point we'll have we're, we're scheduling a few things in the next few weeks with with some folks so we're you know it'll be curious what what we've got under our belt at that point and how that how that works together yeah and i, I i'll reach out to you personally later uh, as well we'll, we'll vibe um, but for now just thank you for your your time your information and, and you oh you're absolutely welcome it's been an absolute pleasure and uh i've you know because of the injury and how pulled away from the work i've been I forget how inspired I get by talking to colleagues always. So thanks for this opportunity. That's beautiful. I wish you a great day. Thank you. And also, I mean, we have to echo that. I mean, Andrew and I are constantly inspired with our guests and it's, it's an honor both ways, for sure. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. You can find out more about Michael at michaelmatthew.com and on Instagram at Quad. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye for now.